Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Federico Tabon is our guest this week. Welcome, Federico. Thank you. Really excited to be here in my first podcast. Yeah, we're, we're definitely excited. It's, it's our first podcast, too. <laughs> I mean, generally speaking, yeah. <laughs> generally speaking, yeah. Yeah, number eight, crazy. Uh, my name is Rob Ray. Uh, I use the he, his gender pronoun. Um, I host the Exoskeleton Art Space in Los Angeles um, and run the Exoskeletal Newsletter, which is a tiny email newsletter. And I'm an experienced director at an interactive agency here in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an educator and artist based in Chicago. Uh, right now, I'm researching uh, CNC printmaking, like using a dry point needle on a CNC machine, um, 3D printed flatware, and uh, some other stuff. Oh, I was about to give away what I made this week. Oh, that was a close one. Uh, and <laughs> I'm a, I'm a he-his kind of guy. Uh, so my name is uh, Federico Tobon. Um, I am also a he-his kind of character. And I'm a maker and artist uh, uh, living in Los Angeles. Um, I was born in South America, in Colombia in particular. Um, uh. And uh, yeah, if you have questions about that, we can go into it. Um, and um, well, my cat just jumped on the table. I hope that doesn't sound <laughs> I have that every single episode. <laughs> um, so I... I do a lot of art, like illustration, but uh, but I consider myself a maker. Like I, I just essentially dabble or play with everything that I can get my hands on. So I don't know. I call myself a curious, curious generalist, as in like a jack of all trades, but like more fancy. <laughs> um, I I think one of my favorite takes on that is that my uh, my know how is like a rice patty. It's miles wide and inches deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not to put that on you, but but I enjoy that one myself. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Um, yeah, but I think what I discovered at some point is that um, working with my hands just made me like made me happy initially, and then and then I mean I've been kind of going away from happy. I think is more about meaning and fulfillment, um, uh-huh. and um, and so I just really enjoy like. You know, sewing, woodworking, welding, uh, uh, playing with wood and metal. I don't know. Um, and I also teach. Um, right now, I'm, I've been working at a local nonprofit called Heart of Los Angeles, teaching in the uh, science and technology department. So I've been teaching for about a year, um, mostly like is after school programs with uh, middle school kids and and high school and and that has been hard it's like a serious uh, sure. learning curve for me <laughs> but it's been very interesting too it's like when um, uh what do you think uh, would you mind give us giving us example of one of those big challenges with you know teaching with that age group well i had no experience and uh, classroom management yes. was difficult <laughs> for me yeah um I also, I mean, there were, so I've been teaching like a variety of things, mostly like makey stuff. Like I, um, so I, so I taught like, um, 
uh, radio control airplane class and then nice. I taught some like simple machines with Lego and then I tried to also make some automata with like uh, hot glue and cardboard and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing I keep on running into is that, um, so for example, when I taught the Lego class, I was thinking like, oh, working with Lego is super simple, right? You just put a bunch of Lego on the table and like they, they, they'll just go with it. And and sometimes that's, that's not the case, like getting um, people and kids motivated to work on something is not that straightforward. Sure. Like, um, because like, I think be- because I'm excited about the project doesn't mean everyone's going to be excited or <laughs> it doesn't mean that I can communicate the excitement about why is it fun to build this or that. Yeah. To, to your point about Lego being sort of universal, I, I feel like with young people and I generally work with college students, but you know, that they're still young people and either the thing that you want them to do is hard. And so they're worried about looking stupid or the thing that you want them to do is easy. And so they're worried about looking stupid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Like, like, the, mm. like there's a way for them to fear how they will look if they get it wrong, no matter what the level of challenge is. It's just a different, like it's, it's a, a different flavor of looking stupid, I guess, is their fear. Um, so one thing I've definitely tried to do is on the first day of a lot of my intro classes, I'll try to do something where I look really stupid. Um, <laughs> so I've had it. these classes where all the students have to build like a Nick Cave um, sound suit for those that aren't familiar with this. You know, it's like found materials and cut, totally covering the body. But they have to make me a suit as a group um, just out of paper. And then once I'm totally covered, we go to Dunkin' Donuts and buy a dozen donuts. And um, so the, the attempt is to like to, to right off the bat like be really vulnerable and be dumb in public. I don't know if that's something you'd like to try, but there's a, a freebie for you. That that's <laughs> a really nice one. I I, I should try that. <laughs> um, I, another thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately related to teaching is um, I've been teaching uh, middle school and and then some high school classes and. Mm-hmm. And what I, you know, what what they've been telling me is that um, women tend to drop out uh, when they get to high school, out uh, drop drop out of this kind of like sciency makey sort of stuff. Um, but working with these girls has been like amazing. It's like um, I don't know, like they they're really good. Like they're crafty, they're interested, they pay attention. Um, so I'm like super puzzled. I mean, I, I, of course, don't know much about this, but, like, I'm super puzzled about, you know, why why did we assign these, like, gender roles at some point? Um, it's like, what, why are boys, like, more into, you know, science and making things? Sure. Um, when, like, what I'm experiencing right now with the middle school students is that working with the girls is amazing. It's like, um, I mean, obviously, I, I suppose there's also this big... Um, kind of maturity level that you see at this particular age where the girls are mm, like, yeah. you know, kind of several years ahead in, in, in many different ways. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, for example, I was teaching an electronic class last uh, session. And so I did a lot of soldering um, and, and they were good. Like, I mean, like they, they find motor skills and like the sort of attention to detail Um it's like it's easier to get women to do it um, than than it was for me to get boys to do certain things because right. they, they just they just wanted like you know jab the soldering irons on the table and 
you know, burn whatever is at hand, <laughs> which, I, which is a legitimate thing to do. I, I'm not totally against, you know, chaos. We have been um, working just to line up other guests on the podcast. Uh, and one of the people, actually, we, we mentioned them last week, uh, which is Eric Newton and Kelly Coyne of the Root Simple podcast. I had asked them like, hey, would you would you want to do an episode? And, and they seem uh, definitely interested. So that that could be great. Oh, that's awesome. But Eric, yeah, Eric said that specifically, <laughs> he said, you should ask him about getting the beehives onto the roof of the eco village. It's <laughs> <laughs> a fun one. Um, so I'm asking you about getting the beehives on the roof of the eco village. Yeah. So, so first, the eco village is uh, where I live, and this is a is like a house. It's a housing co-op. Um, it's in in LA. It's in the middle of LA in Koreatown. Um, and it's a very interesting place. It's a, um, it was founded in '92 and uh, as an intentional community, and it's, an, it's essentially two buildings filled with like people that are interested in living a sort of like sustainable lifestyle or something along those lines. And um, and so I've been here for a good number of years. Um, and they the cool thing is that they let us do crazy things like that, like you know having beehives on the roof. And and Eric was super helpful with that one. So basically, we wanted to start be, start with beekeeping. There's like a like wonderful group of people in LA that do. They call themselves the backwards beekeepers because they do uh, sort of like natural uh, beekeeping. Um, and Eric is you know was heavily involved. And and so a friend, another friend, had a beehive in his backyard, and he was uh, he was moving, and he was. He told us, like, you guys want this beehive. And we were like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like an awesome way to get started. And But the only place we can put it here on the roof, this is a two-story building. Um, and that was the safest place because anywhere else in the garden, there would be, like, people or children. Um, and so we, Eric, Eric was, like, very important in this operation, too. He helped us um, move this beehive. And so we decided to sew a giant bag for the beehive and so i got a bunch of uh, there is a there's a great uh dumpster in culver city um where you can <laughs> where you where you can get like it's uh you can get these vinyl or like other plastics like banners like there's a big company that makes banners and as as i understand that like at the end of a roll, they have like these giant printers, and at the end of the roll, they have to essentially discard a bunch of the ends, um, you know, because the the feeders won't like pass it through the printer or something. So you get you know chunks of material that are like sometimes like six by ten uh, pieces of like nice nice plastic. So I frequent this dumpster. I collect a bunch of you know my scavenger, and so I I I. Um, I I made this really big bag. And so, you know, we went at night, we set up the, the bag under the beehive. Um, we bagged it all together, you know, with this like uh, homemade bag. And then we um, put it in a truck <laughs> and uh, and very carefully like sent it through the, uh, you know, it was, it was a serious operation. It's like, uh, we were very happy at the end because no one got stung. It was like um, high, you know. It was a somewhat dangerous 
endeavor because it had to go through the holes. Um, we had to like lift it on a ladder, um, and it was fairly heavy. So, um, and do the bees the bees stay inside, or are they kind of buzzing around? So the whole time, or so yeah, I guess the the they usually they go in their beehives at night, and so what we did was. Uh, and beehives usually have one entrance, so you can relatively easily uh, cover that entrance. Um, and the whole point of having the bag was just in case that you know we dropped it, or <laughs> um, <laughs> and and so we wouldn't you know it, it that would be kind of catastrophic to have like you know uh, crazy bees inside a, an apartment building. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And so the, the oh, because you had you had to move it through the building in order to get it on the roof. Yeah. So the oh, yeah. So we have to ent- you know enter to the main entrance of the building. They go through the halls, and the access to the roof was uh, on an inside. Uh, in, in, there's a there's a hatch um, that is about the size of the beehive. So. Um, <laughs> and then and then was there was there a technical reason for doing it at night, or was that just for the uh, the drama? dramatic effect yeah the technical <laughs> reason was uh we waited yeah all, all when the sun goes down the bees go back to their hive uh, of, course, of course so it was to get get all the bees because if you move it during the day you could probably but you would lose a good amount of workers because mm-hmm. they, when they return and if they don't see a beehive they would be kind of lost sure. um but yeah but and to rob's point did you did you pre-measure this thing or was it just like moving apartments where you find out when you get there <laughs> <laughs> no, I, we did pre-measure it. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> Not too crazy. Smart. Not too crazy. Yeah, smart, smart. How many people? I, I'm so I I'm at the Eco Village somewhat frequently as um I have a child in daycare at the Eco Village uh, a couple days a week, and I was always curious. Do you know roughly how many people live at the Eco Village? I uh, let's see. I think it's uh, about forty people. Yeah, that's no, pretty okay. big. I just wanted to give people the sense of the size. Yeah, yeah because it, when you hear the word eco village, you're like, oh, maybe it's a house or something. But it's like a really big apartment building. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, two apartment buildings, in fact. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with like a really nice like open area in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's really quite something. Um, I'm always impressed when I go there every morning. Yeah, no, the, the 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 building is really beautiful. I always feel guilty quoting certain things on the podcast because they don't feel. Uh, unusual enough but man there was this fantastic 99 percent invisible where they were talking about um squatters rights in new york and um it just it really reminds me and i know you guys probably have a different setup going on i'm assuming your occupancy uh is more um well maybe i should ask about the occupancy but but are you guys familiar with the whole the the renters thing in the 80s with people squatting in buildings just because they weren't being kept up yeah yeah um no but the this one has a different story. Yes, yeah, I think this is a different story entirely. <laughs> but we'll, we'll put that one in the show notes just because it's um, it's it's reminding me of the topic matters. So I, I take it that this was a planned community where the building was rented and everything was you know uh, uh, performed uh, on the up and up. Um, I wouldn't describe it as on the up and up, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was somewhat planned, and yeah. and there, there is a woman that was the founder, and she she did like an incredible amount of work. Um, uh, but it, it's after the riots in '92. Um, 
I think the, the, the main building here was like partly burned or something like that. Mm. And so it was, and, and the, the area in the, in, in the nineties wasn't like great. So, so they put the building for sale and mm. this woman, Lois, who's like the founder, um, she, she put a lot of effort and ended up, uh, buying the building. Um, but the cool thing is that she didn't, so she wanted to start a community, uh, but she didn't kick, uh, people out who were living here already. So, so to this day, there are people that live, have, has been living, have been living here since the nineties that were like, weren't necessarily interested in the, the whole community project. Oh, um, interesting. So they're still here too. And so, I mean, essentially they're all the kind of absorbed members of the community. Um, right. Yeah. And they're, they're kind of like renters, uh, but also community members in their own way. Nice. Yeah, I, I often, because I'm dropping off my foster child in the morning, I often see them sort of walk, stirring around, you know, early in the morning as as older people, I feel like, tend to do. And it is cool to be like, oh, like that person was has been here a very long time, probably been here a very long time before the eco-village was the eco-village, but they're still there and sort of part of the whole fabric of the place. Yeah. Um, which is really neat. I, I love, like, here I, there was a guy that um, died uh, a few years ago, and um, and he had been living here for, like, 40 years, and so it was kind of really cool talking to him about the, the stories that this building had. Uh, it was incredible. Like, the building has, has lived many lives um, since the 20s. Um, and uh, so, I mean, the building was a, was a hotel, that was uh, related to there, there was there used to be hot springs on this street, um, oh, wow. and so so it was like a really fancy hotel in the twenties where people would come and like um, do their spa thing. And but then, yeah. <laughs> but then I know the hot springs. There was a big scandal, and they get, they were closed. Um, and then the building just became. I mean, like at some point they were in the building. They were running. Um, um, what do you call it? There was a lot of illegal gambling going on so I mean, one of the stories that this guy told me once was like there used to be a room um one apartment that was like um just empty and there was a phone in the corner and so people would go there to take bets <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and then they would leave and that was like the the only thing that the room would do yeah um, i love that the more i feel like the more i learn about history the more illegal stuff i find out about <laughs> that's all that <laughs> yeah. history is man yeah, for a long time, you could go to the Biograph Theater in Chicago and just stick your fingers in the bullet holes from when they shot J- Dillinger out in front of that thing. And, oh, yeah. Um, and that's that's been plastered over. But I also find it really interesting how, as as we get more distant from violent crime, it's it starts to become cute, you know? So, like, I mean, <laughs> I, can't you do... Aren't there, like, recreations of the um, uh, the Titanic or something? I, I just, oh my God. you know, or for example, if you really think about what uh, Pompeii is all about, like that's just, it's such a sort of horrifying <laughs> kind of celebration of this, of this dangerous and deathly event. But I guess once X amount of time passes, it's, you know, it's kind of safe for um, like theme park fodder. I don't know where I'm going with that, but I feel like all crimes become kind of cute in the rearview mirror, right? And like civil war reenactments, yes. like, the, like that must have just been a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we're like 
on your weekend, do you go and like load up your truck and <laughs> polish your gun, your musket yeah, or whatever, and like roll that coal? Reenact the Civil War. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Civil War yeah. sounds horrifying. Horrifying, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, all, all right, right. Should we jump into uh, yeah. challenge number eight? Let's let's pivot. So the the challenge is crafting security. Crafting security, uh, courtesy of Dan Bastillo. I'm really curious yes. to see how you guys interpreted this. You know, I was just talking to somebody about the whiteness episode. And they were saying, oh, you know, if I was on it, I think I just would have done something about negative space and made everybody really mad. <laughs> so, so, so I think there is an aspect of, like, you talk to the person and you kind of know what you think they're into. So I feel like the interpretation mm-hmm. starts to lean before we even get started. Uh, but So I'm going to upload some pictures for you guys. And I think I'll be really interested to see if you can... I have two projects... And I'll be interested to see if you can tell what the second one is without me describing it. But the first one, I think we have we have a fighting chance of figuring out here. Cool. And I'm uploading this on my absolutely atrocious AT&T Buverse or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. Rob can cut out the next 30 minutes of silence here. So I see a fork um, that you cut. You cut the handle out of the fork, and it seems like you're using it. I, initially, I, uh, I the so the tips of the fork are bent. Um, it's about a quarter inch or so. And initially, I thought you were gonna because then the next picture shows um, putting the fork on the on a door lock, uh, and I thought you were gonna use it to open a door. But mm-hmm. then after that, the door is closed and then the handle is going through the fork. So now I realize you, it, I mean, I'm guessing it's actually a lock. Um, is it like, oh. like you're stopping the door from being opened with that fork? Yeah, Am I, it, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, yeah, the fork is sort of hooked into the strike plate of the door mm-hmm. frame. Yeah, and then the door is closed, and then the handle is threaded through the tines of the fork. Uh, like and like you said, Federico, uh, that then blocks the door from opening because if you tried to open it, the hand the 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 fork can't dislodge itself from the strike plate because the door is closed, mm-hmm. and creates a sort of mini. Mini lock. That was a dang. That's that was a good way of describing a, it, Rob. I, I was not sure how you guys were going to visualize that for the uh, <laughs> listening audience. <laughs> I, I suppose that when you imagine this kind of object, it would be like a, a really big piece of wood that it goes across the door. Right. right. Um, yeah. But then you made it like a, you made it elegant. <laughs> it's just like you could put it in your pocket. Yet, yet is totally. it seems strong enough that it would be very hard to open the door. Yeah, I I have to admit I did not test this thing fully because I was doing this at work, uh, <laughs> and so <laughs> so so both of these things that I did, I'm going to upload two more images here. First of all, I can't take credit for the original designs, so I was looking around online, and uh, Rob and I have talked about this in some previous episodes. But we, we did some really code heavy work, and so I was trying to come up with stuff that was a little more tangible. And I often wind up coming across other people that have addressed 
like I'll find a tutorial, but it won't necessarily be explicitly within the content area of the challenge. So I feel like part of what I'm trying to do is to recontextualize an existing idea, but through the lens of craft, for example. So, so some guy was talking about online, and we can put this in the show notes, but a demonstration of how to make a lock with this fork. And, and one of the things I was interested in was thinking about the security of locks. And especially if you're a renter, you know, you're always sort of aware that the lock is not yours and that somebody else has complete access to it. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. So this was, this is a way to sort of democratize the locking <laughs> of the door. Now, now whether or not it could hold up to somebody kicking it is another question, but um, it, it starts to pick apart at our, our sense of security when staying behind a locked door, when it's clear that the locks are so easily opened by whether it's the fire department or your landlord or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And, and it's a lock that is not pickable as there is no key for it, right? It's like essentially jamming the door as opposed to being something that you would flip open with a key, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and as Federico was saying, it, it is kind of like the Barbarian Bar, which which I've also installed in my previous apartments, right? So, so I had a break-in mm-hmm. in St. Louis where I'm assuming just a teenager kicked in my back door because the lock, you know, I think the bolt was anchored into like a quarter inch of wooden molding or something. And then uh, <laughs> and then I came home and I was a... Uh, a blacksmith at this point in time. So I'd get home at like 3 PM and I think I weighed like 80 more pounds than I currently do. <laughs> and so, uh, 60 more pounds. And so I, I came home in these overalls and covered in soot at this huge dude and then saw someone had broken in my house and I was really mad. And so I was standing in the yard and I'd called 911 from my radio shack cell phone that had 20 minutes a month on it. And um, yes. the police showed up, and they were talking to me. And, you know, as a white dude, I didn't really have a lot of experience with this. So the police were saying, you know, calm down. Let's figure out what's going on. And they said, why don't you just sit down in the back of the car and talk to us? So I was I was starting to sit down into the car, and there were these two young black men that were walking by. And one of them said, without moving his lips at all, don't get in the back of the car. <laughs> You know, because these dudes, like, they knew that when you get in the back of a cop car and you close the door, you can't get back out until until they let you out. Uh, but, but so, I, you know, I, I think they were, the cops were trying to isolate me because they didn't know. Like, I was just some angry-looking, yeah. dirty dude rolling around <laughs> in this fr- front yard, you know, when someone called the cops, right? And then I was so, uh, I was making so little money as a blacksmith and a welder that I think they stole... I got a hundred dollar bill on my nightstand that was a Christmas bonus. So that got taken. Like I couldn't believe I had a hundred dollars, so I kept it in my house <laughs> and then it got taken. <laughs> and then they and then they looked at taking a bowl full of change and then left it because it just wasn't even and I think they took a CD burner, like if this tells you uh, how long ago this was. Yeah. Uh, was it like a one X C D burner? Yeah, totally. So so but the nice. the landlord <laughs> the landlord was very slow to repair the door. So ultimately I effectively nailed it shut. Like there was a, a zombie outbreak going on outside. Um, so that yeah, it got me thinking of that, but, but I've uploaded two more images for you guys. And this one's, I think this one's harder to figure out. So tell me if you can see yes. what you can do. Federico, do you want to take a swing at it first? Um, so it looks like a, a key blank mm-hmm. that you modified by cutting it has, has, it has one cut, um, that makes it kind of like a more like a key, but then it has a notch um, 
like mm-hmm. crosswise. It makes me feel like mm-hmm. this is a way of jamming uh, an existing lock. Yeah. I, my guess is that you like put the key in there and then you can easily break it on that and like bend it back and forth and oh. it would break along the notch that you made. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it would be like a, a way of a way of like making a, a lock unusable. Well, because it's an intentional weak spot, right? Yeah. Sort of at the base of the key. So if you jam it in there and like wiggle the the little, I don't know what you call it part of the key. It's like a handle, but it's not really a handle. It's just like the flat wide spot mm-hmm. that you put your fingers on. Right. Wiggle it back and forth, it would snap off. Is that? Well, I mean, you guys went. You wasted no time. That's a, so. This is <laughs> that's yes. exactly what it is. So it's <laughs> it's known online. So the fork one, you know, the tutorial I found was just some sort of grandfatherly guy on YouTube saying, oh, here's like a fun little project you can do. Whereas this one is known as a killer key. And so the um, you're right that the score allows you to break it. But then the important part about the single, so it's a key blank with only one, basically one tooth carved into it, whereas usually you have multiple teeth. And if you look at your keys, the way that the teeth are cut is they always have a draft angle that's coming both to the left and the right of each peak. So the idea being that as you move the key in and out, there's always a slope for the pins to ride along. Mm -hmm. So in this case, there's a really hard right angle. So the key will go in, but then as each pin gets behind this 90-degree angle, the pin drops down, and then when you try to pull the key back out, it's just a, um, a, a vertical pin hitting a vertical wall, so there's no longer a way to move in the opposite direction. Oh, yeah, so the yeah. idea is you, you stick this in, it engages all the pins, can no longer be taken out, and then you just snap the head off to sort of um, really drive the point home. Although I don't know to, it, if it even matters, right? Because it's not like you can pull it out with pliers or anything. Yeah, but it, um, it, it, but it definitely makes it, even if you were to pull it, I mean, it, it really kills the lock. Yes. <laughs> like you have to entirely disassemble it to, to get that thing out. Yeah, so so the funny thing here is that when you look for these online, and I know Rob has a soft spot for the uh, sort of um, survivalist and tactical gear <laughs> set, but but, but those who are not who who do not approach it with irony, <laughs> so so this is definitely advertised in these really macho badass like you know put put this in your bug out kit you know if you need to like 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 break a lock so that the you know the, the regular people who weren't as paranoid as you can't get through. And um, I think it was also marketed as a way, you know, speaking of rent strikes and all that stuff and planned communities, if your landlord wanted to kick somebody out and it was concerned that they were going to try to, you know, force occupancy, you could just make sure to get them outside. And then you just go and you defeat the lock in this way to prevent people from reentering the building. Um, so it was definitely, it was definitely framed when I saw it online as either like a, um, post-apocalyptic, uh, tactical, you know, macho thing, or it was like, here's a way to disenfranchise your renters, which made it a lot more icky. And I haven't been able to test it, you know, cause I, unfortunately I had some locks sitting around, but I threw them all out when I was replacing, rekeying my doors. But yeah, I mean, if you stick this in a lock, it's kind of done for so if you if you were to take a a key that has been cut and added at ninety degree angle like that, mm-hmm. you think it would work as a as a way I think to? It, 
It may. Uh, I think with a lot of keys, there's a significant... So one thing that surprised me just buying a blank that was unmodified is that there's really a lot of metal there that can, that can be carved away. Mm-hmm. And so my understanding is that when I look at the keys in my key ring, uh, the majority of that extra metal is gone once you have conventional peaks and valleys in the key. So I guess it would just depend on the key that you happen to have and the amount of meat that's available. But I, w- I was surprised to find that these blanks, I think they're actually all brass, and then they just have a, a shiny coating that makes them look like steel. So you could you could do this with a file in like three minutes. So it, it was a, it was a very accessible um, process. Hmm. But you guys, man, you guys uh, powered through that. Excellent work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a really mean prank. Yeah, it would yeah. for sure. It would. <laughs> I, I, I know. So I have to make make sure not to accidentally use it if I'm trying to like. Game <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do with it? Are you gonna. It's a good keep question. It around just in case. I guess, like, they put it in a little box and make sure not to use it. I think the ones that you can buy online, they are um, they're anodized, so they're bright red, um, or some, some oh. other kind of neon color, so you don't accidentally just use it. Uh, but I, you know, and I, I found like there was a dude on Thingiverse who was making them out of plastic, and I'm guessing those would probably work just as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this was more about. Like that was the crafting thing coming back in, which was, and uh, and actually, you know, I was kind of thinking. I, I think Rob just shared eight dollars with me as we've started to gain some uh, Patreon followers, and I was really starting to think about, you know, I associate craft with this sort of it's as much elbow grease as fancy materials or whatever. So, um, you know, was there a way that I could keep the budget for this under the Patreon amount? Um, just as an intellectual exercise. And, and I think this project cost $2.50 because I had to buy the key blanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, then, and then the fork was just laying around. Um, uh, one thing I really liked about the fork is that you take one tool, cut it in half, and it turns into another tool altogether. Ah, uh, sure. Mm-hmm. It's like a, yeah. something yeah. clean about that. Yeah, there is. And, you know, the guy on YouTube, I mean, when he does it, I think he says you have to use two tools. And when I did it, there were all these different problems that came up with the particular design of fork that I had and the particular strike plate. <laughs> so if you look carefully at the images, like the fork handle is pounded flat on an anvil and then ground down both in width and height. And so I, I kind of cheated on that. <laughs> I, I mean, perhaps you'll still regard that as craft. I don't know. But, um, yeah. but, it, but it is nice <laughs> to imagine that you just take a fork snap it in half and then do one or two other operations and it's ready to go that that was not my experience the the, the key went very fast but i have yet to try it mm-hmm. <laughs> cool cool yeah federico do you want to go next yeah, let's see it yeah so um so i sent you uh each i sent each one of you a version of the project mm-hmm. um yes and um but i'm gonna have so and and I'm going to upload a picture of the one I have. So, so I ended cool. up making three. Um, um, and I have to admit, when I get a package in the mail, I just open it. And so, <laughs> and so even though it's said all over the front, you know, this is from Federico and it's for this episode, somehow in my mind that meant open it right away. Uh, so I'm going to leave it to Rob to start things off here. 
Okay. Um, so can I tell you a little bit of the thought yeah, process sure. that led me yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. Um, Please do. Yeah, sure. Or, or should we just reveal it and then I'll tell you about the thought process? No, no, go for okay. it. So, so when I heard the crafting security, um, the first thing I, I went to was like handcrafting. That's like my, uh -huh. um, and, um, so the first thing I wanted to make was like, um, like a fake security camera. Um, because I had, a, I had an experience with a security camera at some point. Like I used to work at this restaurant and, and there was a security camera pointed at me all the time. And then one day I was cleaning some documents and I found the box where the camera had, you know, came in and, and it was like a fake camera. Like it had a, <laughs> it had a blinking LED and then like realizing, oh, that's great. you know, I realized, oh, so all this time, I, this thing has been looking at me, but it's actually not even looking at me. So I wanted to make something like a camera out of plywood that was like clearly fake, but then that, but then put like an LED on it. Um, but I felt that was a bit too cynical. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, um, so I, um, so I, so it kind of, it made me think a lot about all these uh, sort of security measures uh, or things that are supposed to add security, but they're really not that effective. Uh -huh. Like, um, like they're not actual security such as cameras. I mean, even, even cameras that work don't necessarily add that much to um, to make, you know, they don't necessarily make anyone safer uh -huh. or, or like, uh, so it made me think, Oh, it'd be cool to make, or like other things like say, I'm not super anti-gun, but I still think that like a gun wouldn't necessarily make you safer. Um, yeah, I think um, that's statistically demonstrable. So that's statistically yeah. demonstrable. Uh, and so this kind of led me, it started me thinking about like, so so these things are kind of like security blankets, but that doesn't mean, <laughs> but like, so it made me think about this notion of the security blanket. And, um, and so the, but I remember having a blanket and it, I did feel safer. Although I, you know, I knew that the blanket wasn't, wasn't going to do anything for me. It, it made me feel safer. So, so it made me think about the, the feeling of safety is also important. Um, regardless sometimes of actual safety. Um, so then, so then I thought, oh, I, I like to make like little charms, you know, that are related to safety. Um, like, so then I thought I'm going to make a tiny security camera and a tiny gun and a tiny blanket. Um, <laughs> and, and this idea, uh, uh, reminded me of like prayer beads, um, and uh, along the idea of the charms and, um, kind of like the religious aspect of it. And that's where this object I made came from, from, from the notion of the, of the prayer beads, uh -huh. um, because sure. there are these like objects that you can hold, um, and you can play with it. Um, and it makes it, it makes it, uh, I don't know, it gives you a sense of security in a sense. I, I, it was kind of slightly related to this, uh, to like the fidget spinner craze. <laughs> um, where like, you know, playing with your hand, you know, playing with something like kind of reassures you somehow. Um, but then, so I wanted to make this thing. Um, but then there is a relevant, um, you guys know this comic, uh, XKCD. Mm -hmm. sure. Um, yeah, have you, it's a great comic. Have Everything you seen the, a relevant XKCD? 
<laughs> have you seen the one about password strength? Mm. No. Um, so that's an important part of the puzzle, but um, may, maybe I'll let you describe the object and then yeah. I'll explain. Yeah, sounds good. Should I op open mine? Yeah. Okay, so uh, last week, Federico sent both Taylor and I a package in the mail. Uh, and inside the box, there is a small envelope. Uh, at least inside my box, there's a small envelope. Um, it looks like it's a homemade envelope, which is really cool. Um, and there's a small wolf cat, uh, which is, I, I believe, your studio name. Mm -hmm. uh, sticker, and it says, uh, wolf cat, open for a crafting security episode of Opposable Thumbs podcast. And there's a small smiley face, and then it says pull. And the first thing I thought... Admittedly, explode. <laughs> is will this explode? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, knowing that it wouldn't, but it was the first thing that popped up. That my was mind. Rub's last um, podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's where the the my the audio channel just goes dead as I open up. Okay, so I opened it up. Oh, whoa, whoa, right? Whoa, it's awesome. Oh my god. Okay. Um, so, uh, oh man. Okay, so there's many small wooden pieces, wooden blocks. Yeah, yeah, wooden, yeah, wooden blocks. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> wow. So there's maybe one, two, three, nine, twenty-seven wooden blocks. Um, they sort of have a C shape. Some are turned in one direction and some are turned in another. I think there's magnets holding it together. It feels like it anyway. Um, and each block has a s two words. Um, it looks like maybe laser cut. It's something very, very precise made these letters. Uh -huh. um, and the first, and the letters, uh, sorry, the words are um, uh, the Spanish word and then the English matching word. I, I know enough. Well, oh wait, let me... Yes. Oh, you, I know enough Spanish to to know that there are. You got a different one than me. Yeah. So, ah, so, okay, so this cool. is where the variations start making sense. Uh huh. Okay. Cool. Should I keep keep going, Federico, or do you want to jump in, or I, I, either one's great for could, me? I was just. Could curious. I add a couple things to your description? Oh yeah. Room? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. beyond a simple C shape, if you imagine taking a cube, so there's 27 of these cubes. Oh. So if you were to take um, right. a table saw. Or so presumably these are manufactured as part of a larger piece because I can't imagine taking these little, you know, three quarter inch cubes and running them through oh. the table saw. But it has the right curve. So Although, yep. that, that's part of the. We can talk uh, about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you take you know the curve right, the amount of wood that's blown away from a cut on a machine, and if you were to penetrate halfway into a cube from one facet in one direction and then go to the opposite facet and then turn the block 90 degrees. So the, the idea is that, yes, it's a C-shape if you look at it from one direction, but there's actually two cuts in each block. And those cuts allow for a jointedness, which I believe isn't magnets. I think it's like um, a stretchy kind of rubber band or yep. something like yeah. that. Yep. You, can, you can try and pull it apart and uh -huh. put it in different shapes if you... 
I'm just now holding it proper in my hand, and yet differently things are being revealed. Yeah. And like you said, Taylor, it's a it's uh, like an elastic or something uh-huh. that's holding them together. Uh-huh. And yeah, you can. Um, oh. So it only wants to turn in certain directions, but not unlike a Rubik's cube, you can um, urge it to turn in different directions by twisting here and pushing there and so forth. And so the XKCD comic we're referring to alludes to this idea that if you just come up with a sentence that has four random words in it, if you can put a sentence together, it's more likely to be memorable and then potentially is long enough that it will stymie um, password guessing at least until quantum computing becomes a reality. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. And so is this a way to generate those phrases? Yes. That's uh-huh. that's where I was wow. going. Um, hey, Rob, give me a sample phrase that you're generating. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of uh, okay. Well, um, let's see. I'm unfurling it here. So it has. It reminds me of um, in the sort of post Rubik's cube era of the late '80s. There's there was a thing called the snake. And the snake was triangular yeah, yeah. shapes, I think. Yeah, this, but, the, but it's very similar vibe. It's very similar, yeah. And it's actually called a, Ru- a Rubik's snake. It was in inve- oh Rubik's snake. Yeah, oh, the one an, that it's an existing. Well, not the one I made, but the one you were referring to, the one that has uh, the triangular uh, uh-huh. shapes. So it's it's related. It's, it has like a similar feel to it. Um, so yeah, I I wanted to. So yeah, the the idea of the comic is that uh, as um, he says that uh, we have uh, trained humans to... I mean, we, we've had created all these passwords that are really hard for humans to remember, but easy for machines to break. Uh-huh. Um, and that, uh, <laughs> nice. that a simple password, like four random words, um, is, is because, it's, it, because of its length, it would be harder to, do a, a, to break it by, by having a computer guess each character. So I was thinking about this way of like generating um, sort of more secure passwords that are easier to remember. Um, so the the first one I made um, that I wanted to send to Taylor because I figured the shipping would be longer. Um, <laughs> it's all in English, so so that one has more words. Uh-huh. Um, so my idea is that you would. So I was going back to these uh, like handcrafting, um, as you were saying, like um, sort of. I did because you know writing a, a a piece of code that generates random words is relatively easy, but it's not as tactile. Um, yep. It's like I I wouldn't sit. I, I don't think I would sit pushing you know a button to get me random words, but I would like play with something like these that I can like you know play with my hands and perhaps find a random combination of words that is memorable. Um, or you could like I don't know put it on your desk and like uh, find different configurations of the object where like you could perhaps remember a password um so the first one i made was in english oh. so the f- sorry i just learned how to turn it i just figured out like <laughs> you can turn them yep because of the slot in each one it's it's almost like 27 six-sided dice like square dice yeah in sequence held together with elastic and then there's a word, and then there's there's the Spanish word and the English word on each side of the of the each of the twenty seven each of the dice six dice, twenty seven dice stacked in sequence. But then there's a slot in them so you can rotate 
as you desire mm-hmm. in any direction. Oh my god. Okay, sorry. I had sorry. I just got the light bulb just came on for me, so I had to like blurt it out. Oh. So I keep going. So Taylor's is in English, but then once I made the one in English, I was I was like, oh, this would be great to make to make it bilingual. Um, yeah. And so I made a bilingual one uh, that I send you, and then <laughs> and then after that, I was like, so what do I do now? Um, and so I'm going to show you a picture of the one I I have. Um, oh, cool. Let me upload it here. So one of the images that's popping up right now, just to describe this a little bit more, part of what makes this uh, device so sort of precious and tactile is that the wood is also not uniform. So I'll be curious to find out if these are actual different species of wood or if they're just ah, um, yeah, the colors are different, treated yeah. or stained or whatever. But, but it's it's a really attractive object. And it's Very. really, the scale is really excellent for the hand. So it really, um, is, I mean, I, I've made a lot of interactive work and I've always battled with encouraging people to do what they're supposed to do and mixing up the words on the surface of this thing requires no additional prompting. It's it's sort of it's it's the natural behavior is that you mm-hmm. just screw screw around with it. Yeah, it looks nice. It feels nice. Not not usual yeah, really uh, experiences w- in the digital realm. Right. Yeah, it works great. So I was gonna say that the so the one I made, if you guys can see, um, instead of, so it's also bilingual, but I went with Japanese because right. um, so my partner is Japanese and. I, I I don't speak any Japanese. I just I've just learned words and 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 um and I know how to read uh hiragana, which is the the simple phonetic alphabet. Mm. Um and so this one I I made where each word is the word in English and then is written in Japanese with hiragana. Um which also made me think um so first, made me think about this uh, security in language, um, or or how. So, for example, there is one. Th- this idea came because uh, my partner uses uh, a lot of passwords in Japanese, but she mm-hmm. writes them in in uh, she writes them as kind of like the phonetic version of in English. So, for example, like in the picture, there is uh, um, a boat, which is fune. And so she would write F-U-N-E as a password. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of like a... It, it made me think about how uh, a password is kind of like a language of two. Or like is, is, is you understand it and the machine understands it, but like the idea is that no one else should understand it or, or should know it or should be able to guess it. And, and the way in which like different, you know, speaking different languages creates that sort of division sometimes. But but as a as a speaker of you know as a native speaker of another language like my first language is Spanish, um, sometimes I can see how when when you're with a group of people and they want to speak Spanish is because they're creating this sense of sort of safety among themselves. It's like this shared thing, um, but it's also a sense. It, it it I feel very ambivalent about this idea because. Uh, um, because yes, it's a sense of safety among ourselves who speak this language, but it's also a way of saying to the people that cannot understand it, like you don't belong to the circle. Sure. Um, 
but uh, but as a password generator is i think it's okay <laughs> it's like uh, <laughs> yeah yeah and to be bilingual makes you almost inherently more like your security level just gets super boosted cuz you could like combine words from different languages or or spell a word from one language like using the characters of another or mm-hmm. something like you have all sorts of different new options well, that depending on them as the a monolingual attack, speaker though, you wouldn't have right yeah it so depends if, on the means of attack if a computer is just guessing characters based on a length you know as the xkcd points out capitalizing the first letter in the word and doing other kind of standard lead speak english substitutions that might be easier for a human to break depending on the language they're speaking. Do you see what I'm saying? Like F-U-N-E, and I know that's not an an actual example. I mean, that one could get cracked in like a third of a second. Right. By, you know, a Bitcoin miner or whatever they're using these days. Whatever the kids are using. Um, Mm -hmm. So so I think yes and no, but that to me also conceptually feeds back into what Federico is talking about, that um, the use of a language, for example, to establish those that are inside the circle and those that are out is both protective and non-protective. And similarly here, multilingualism, I think, would not be a guarantee of a safer password. Right, yeah. But I, I assume most attacks, just for some, for ease's sake, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're running the clock, like you would run a dictionary attack and modified versions of that dictionary attack first. Mm-hmm. And so you you might I guess just dodge the bullet from a from a from a pure effort standpoint. Yes. Uh if you could combine different languages mm-hmm. into one password. But yeah, certainly yeah, it would sure. it would yeah, if you're running like GPUs uh like for Bitcoin mining to uh, correct the password, we're we're in, we're in trouble. Length is going to be our only our only friend there. That <laughs> is super cool. Yeah, so Taylor, you had, you had asked about the wood, and I was curious about that as well. So yeah, the wood is uh, it's poplar. That's why it's like the, it oh. has a green tint to it. Oh, but all I, of it's I, poplar. All of it, yeah. And sometimes you get like this poplar that is like heavily stained. I mean, it has like a darker stain. So I, I did like choose the pieces that had like um, like these big dark stains, and then mixed it up. Um, oh, and then were you uh, just? Um gritting your teeth and running tiny, tiny blocks of wood <laughs> through the uh, table saw? Or how did that go down? So <laughs> I, made, I, I made a jig, and um, yeah. let me show you the jig. Oh, actually. great. Yeah. Um, yes. That's what we're yeah. looking for. So, because I, <laughs> yeah, jig. I, I kind of I wanted to talk about ta- the table saw at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The, so yeah, this thing was basically entirely made on the table saw. Um, mm-hmm. And... And I, I have a I have a relationship with that thing. <laughs> I don't know. It's like <laughs> it's uh, it's like such a wonderful tool, and it allows yeah. me to make so many things. But like I I'm constantly thinking about it and like how it can like take my fingers. Um, oh yeah. So it's like so it's like a, a sort of like it's a monster. It's like a it's like a witch. I, it is. And I, that's what uh, Tom Sachs calls it. Like the, it's a, it's, a, it's a witch that can take your fingers. So you treat it with a lot of respect. Um, and so speaking of which, so I sent you a little image where like it shows me using, well, if you want to describe it. Um, 
Oh yeah, no, it's a <laughs> wow. This animated GIF is awesome. Oh, and the pencil, the pencil is excellent. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Duresta, eat your heart out. Jimmy so, Duresta, yeah. <laughs> so part of what I'm loving about this jig. So, so, and and what are the measurements? Are these like three quarters square? Are yes. They an inch? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So so I, what I would have assumed is that you would be fabricating pieces of wood that were three quarters square but a long length, and then you would be ripping that down the table saw. But that is deep. what happened. That, that was the first cut, though. Like the I, I did, cut. the first cut when I when I did the first notch, I did take mm-hmm. a long, you know, a long. Um, yeah, I did wow. like the first Dude. one, but for the second one, I had to do the the jig. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because you're turning it, so you're no longer able to take advantage of the long pieces. Right. The jig is so cool, and I feel like so cool. I can't decide if I like the finished product or the jig better. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> I I want to talk about that too. Or like the, yeah, yeah. I mean, besides being super afraid of the table, so I think the I mean, and and loving it at the same time. Um, I feel I I I'm a huge fan of jigs. Like the yeah. Like sometimes, like as you said, like they're more interesting than the final product. And so I I made a little close up here just to show you that. So the first thing, this, the first problem I ran into was. When I was cutting the squares on this lead and I would go back, then sometimes they would jump out. So I had to figure out a way to hold them. So I made that thing to hold them first. Um, and then I had to add the spring to hold the squares. And then as I was like pushing the spring every time I wanted to pull out a square, um, sorry, a cube, um, my finger was just getting super tired of pushing that. Uh, sorry, my thumb was getting tired of pushing the screw. So I ended up making the little thumb rest, um, and so so that's how the jig evolves. It's like it's like one thing on top of another, um, but at the end it's kind of like an it's an interesting object. Oh yeah, for sure. And have you seen? That is great. I, I posted a little link there. Have you seen this uh, woodgears.ca before? Yeah, I know. Uh, that's Matthias Wendell. Uh, yes. My, yeah, I'm a huge fan of that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rob, you know this guy? Yeah, yeah, we, we should totally post these. But yeah, his whole thing <laughs> is like the, the primacy of jigs over... The, the jig is as important as the finished product, yeah. Is he the guy, too, who's made like his multiple of his own bandsaws from scratch? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I really wanted to build one of those, but uh, but I ended up buying a cheaper one that was mi- yeah. that was missing a top wheel. So I, I build the top wheel essentially following his instructions. Nice. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Wow, this this was great. This uh yeah. and just it's documented so tightly. So the <laughs> so well. I mean it's yeah. it's pretty rare that you can encounter a pair of gifts and say that's exactly what this needed to be. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, uh incidentally, I did find a YouTube video uh that tells you how to build this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just didn't do it exactly the way he did it, um, but I, uh-huh. but I, I'll put the link too because that's it's a very nicely documented build. Yeah, for sure. Your crosscut sled has a metal handle, is that right? Yeah, I yeah oh, cool. I didn't make this particular sled. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have gone with that metal handle, but it's there. <laughs> it's nice, yeah. So, so yeah. your jig was an addition that was screwed into your crosscut sled, your existing per- sled. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this Great this work. band saw was like donated to us at the Eco Village, um, so oh, wow. so we have like a shared shop. It's just like a one car garage that we kind of dedicated to being a shop, and um, 
yeah, it's, it's like one of the sort of nice things about living with other people. We can share some tools. Um, yeah. And so the person who had these particular saw made that sled and he gave it to us. Cool. Um, oh, cool. So, it's cool that this, the sled came with the saw. Yeah, yeah. That's like a nice, I think it's uh, like, like homemade thing. Yeah, I, this sled is such a wonderful addition to the table saw. It's like, it, it yep. makes these kind of detail work possible. Um, yep. I also want to point out, I'll have to take a look at the envelope, but I feel like Federico got this thing to me like the day after the challenge was announced. I know. <laughs> it's just, I it's know. like so, no, so much more craft uh, <laughs> intensive. And I feel like I've had it in my hands. I mean, there's been, I've been having crazy stuff going on, uh, looking, looking at houses and stuff, but so my, my schedule's off. But yeah, so my incredible work and done incredibly quickly. Very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I know that was the first I, first thing I was like, oh my God, he sent me this last week. And like I was panicking about my very tiny project. <laughs> so, Speaking yeah, of which, awesome. Rob, pay up, man. Let's, let's see what you oh, got. One last, thing, one last thing I wanted oh, please, to yeah. uh, add was, so the, the, the engraving for the words, uh-huh. I did it with these. So someone gave me a 3D printer from 2013 uh-huh. that I, I just got sick of trying to calibrate that thing. And, and I just, I found this instructable with like how to put a laser, yeah. like a 30, a $30, uh, half a watt purple laser on it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I use for engraving the Dude. words. No, it was kidding. Like, it's a really oh. great result. Um, yeah, no, it's like if you calibrate it and like focus it well and you know, where your protective glasses is actually, it's, it's a pretty okay engraver. Um, so, so you wait, so you made a laser engraver out of your 3D printer. Yeah, because oh my it wasn't, and it's simpler than you would think. Um, it's, it, it was just like an old 3D printer and it, it printing with it was like not fun. Um, yeah. And Rob, so, I don't know about you, but wow. I'm ready just to give my uh, microphone over to Federico here. I, I know, I, I know. Over. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are too nice. Really good work. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, if yeah, if amazing. I take my glasses off and get up really tight on there, um, you know, I'm not seeing any of that traditional sort of um, fuzzy blowout that you get from the, you know, the cast off material from the laser cut obscuring the lines for yeah. for something that's that's a an aftermarket add on. It's it's really really good. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, totally impressive. Man. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, that was awesome. Cool. Uh, okay, uh, so <clears throat> I have a failed project and I have a successful project. Nice. And sadly, the successful project is much more boring than the failed project. Uh, but so I'm gonna I'm gonna upload two photos. Are you gonna tell us which one's failed, or do we have to figure it out? <laughs> oh, um, well, okay. So here we go. So I'm gonna upload the final result. Yeah. And you tell me what you see. Uh-huh. I think that's going to be the best way to do it. Excellent. Okay, so here we go. Yeah, they, they look like uh, those beads that you can put into a little jig and then use an iron to melt. Is it perler beads? I think it is so. perler beads. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I and so you made them into a pattern of black and white. Um, 
I'm trying to figure out what the pattern is. <laughs> I tilt in my head 90 degrees. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's maybe 50 or 60% checkerboard, just alternating black and white, but there's a significant amount of clusters of, say, four black beads. I don't think there's ever four white beads, if I'm not mistaken. So I feel like the black is the signal and the white is the ground, but I could be wrong about that. Mm hmm do you can you see that there is there are there's sort of they're illuminated um oh, they're also backlit yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right so it's backlit and do you see like there's and there's some that are slightly grayed out or like oh, yes yeah. okay. so there's some mm-hmm. as if there's something in the back of the yeah so so let me i'm gonna upload oh hang one on more I, I believe uh-huh. if i'm not mistaken it's a graphic symbol of a padlock that has popped open yes nice yes yeah. oh my gosh yes <laughs> i feel so much less stupid now oh my gosh that's so rad <laughs> so yes so let me upload the second image that is exactly what it's supposed to be <laughs> but as you can see it's not I, I even fear that really, like, you got to that contextualized by us talking about security for the past. Oh, um, oh I think that that would be required. It's it's definitely yeah. an extremely subtle... We're, we're not talking about something where it's just a graphical image. It's, it's pretty well masked right. by the format. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is the two of those side by side. So, so what you're looking at in the first image is um, sort of like a four by six sheet of perler beads two of them stacked one on top of the other Mm -hmm. the next image is both of those side by side oh cool so so it's like a essentially the padlock is like encrypted by the nice exactly yeah Yeah. exactly it's a form called um visual cryptography Mm -hmm. and it was um developed in 1994 um by in a in a kind of mathematics paper by these two people last named Naor, N-A-O-R, and Shamir, S-H-A-M-I-R. And what they did is they figured out a way to encrypt messages into images that wouldn't require a computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's essentially what they call like a one-time pad, right? Which meaning like you don't... It's not like a a password-protected file where the, the file inside is actually in there somewhere. It requires both parts mm-hmm. to be to to truly exist like if one of the parts goes missing there is no message yeah you know so if if i threw away one of these two pieces that i created you'd never be able to extrapolate that a you probably wouldn't be able to extrapolate that a lock mm-hmm. was what was supposed to be created but by combining the two you can see um that the lock exists so i'm going to upload just a couple of quick so how i got to this was um i I had heard about visual cryptography and it sort of was pretty, I was like, Oh, that's really cool. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I had seen a demo online where it's sort of two, two transparent PNG files that you can kind of overlay and see what the image is. And, um, and I found this person's Python code that would allow you to take your own TIFF file and create the two, um, files that there they it, it ends up creating two more TIFF files, but two files that you could then create, which would uh, make your overlay pattern happen sure. and sort of uh, reveal the visual cryptography piece. But um, 
And then I was like, I had heard of Perler beads and I like that they were kind of pixel art. It's kind of a way to make, I think a lot of people use Perler beads for sort of pixel art stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you're making like a Super Mario Brothers character or something like that, something sort of Nintendo 8-bit thing. I think that is 99% of the application is making I I think it is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Federico, you you totally nailed it where there's like a little jig that you have and you put the beads in um, and that allows you to make them. So I took... I took the two files that the um, that the visual cryptography it's called the visual cryptography kit makes that allows you to sort of take an image, encrypt it quote unquote uh, into the two images, and then I I fed that into this website that allows you to create perler bead patterns, and um, <laughs> the first mistake I made is the first time I did it it was a super small image it's fifty by eight eighteen pixels it was really small but it it turns each pixel into a four by four grid. And what's amazing about this Perler bead website is it actually tells you the amount of time it will take you to make your Perler bead uh, cool. um, thing just based on how many beads it is. And and each image would have taken four hours of time just to load the beads in mm-hmm. without doing any ironing or anything like that to to glue the beads together. <laughs> and uh, and it was also like 8,000 beads per, something <laughs> really, really huge. <laughs> Um, so then I, and I was so dumb to be like, well, if I just back it down a little bit and get it down to like two hours per, that's, you know, a super intense night, you know, having a drink or something, putting on my headphones, listening to a ton of podcasts and loading all these in. And then I also realized though that his calculation is different than mine because with the perler bead pattern that I'm creating, there is no way a human brain can know what color to put in next because it's just noise like each (laughs) each one is noise so you're always having to look at your original pattern to know which color comes next where if you were making like a you know like a zelda or something you kind of know what the face is going to look like Uh, i believe you need link rob let's just be clear oh link link yes (laughs) yes, yes, let's be proper about this 8-bit stuff yep yep yeah yeah we would just we would have just gotten a ton of email (laughs) yeah yeah 8-bit so 8-bit trolls would have had a field day yeah, in a big way. Yeah, yeah, we would have heard about that, which would have been great. Please, please, please send us your troll emails. <laughs> but uh, um, what I miscalculated on is the clear perler beads are not clear enough, <laughs> and so I I ironed them up and got them ready, and I was like, oh, and I like exposed them to the light, and then I realized like these these clear beads just aren't clear enough, and so then I was like, well, maybe I can polish the ends almost like a fiber <laughs> fiber optic yeah, yeah, yeah. you know end point you know like if you you know i always heard like with fiber connections they have to sort of they have this little thing that polishes the end of the fiber connection in order to make it more um smooth and so i looked into like uh, so perler beads are like i think hdpe high high density polyethylene plastic and so i heard you could polish hdpe so i was like maybe that'll work um but it didn't in my case i i tried to flame polish it with a with like a propane torch and I tried to polish it with um, like wet sandpaper, mm-hmm. but it's just the, the, the opacity is embedded in the beat. It's like, no matter how much you polish it, you're just going to get to more opacity. So you know, question you have. Yeah. So you have black, white and clear beads or ju- just black and clear. Just black and clear. Okay. And yeah, it looks white cause it's so opaque. I see. And when you were laying the beads, because in the pictures I can see the, the paper pattern in the back and then the jig is yep. like transparent. So, so you you could do that, just like put the beads on top and 
it would help you to, or you had to like have the pattern as it totally helps. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I got, I had heard, so I, I saw the site and was, and they were like, get the clear. The site is amazing. Like they have links to like all the stuff you should get. It's like go get the clear square perler bead things. That way you can lay this template underneath. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's really smart. And they also, it's so, it's one of these things you're just like, wow, people are amazing. Like this site is, you know, just someone's homebrew website. It looks um, very mundane, but like it will even like put the color number in each grid. So if you have like, you know, six pinks that kind of all look the same, it'll be like 16 inside the square. So, you know, it's pink number 16 instead of pink number 18. Like it's really, really meticulously done and and really beautiful, amazing tool. Um, But in my case, I just had clear and black. So it was actually quite easy in that regard. Um, And so I laid the template over the top. Yeah. And just filled it right in. But I did find out one thing, which is the, the PDF at first was it was the grid was too small. And I thought it was a bug in his program. I was like, Oh, the grid doesn't fit right. Like it doesn't align up to the jig. But what it was, was I was uh, shrinking to fit on my print job, <laughs> mm-hmm. which made everything too small. Yep. So I had to like uncheck that box after panicking uh, one night. But So my next piece, I'll just talk about this one super briefly. It's like three images. I'll upload the first one first. This one is actually a little bit more visually something interesting. There's a reveal, I guess, is what I'm saying. So here's the first image. Uh, So I'm seeing a card, and it says... Oh man, I couldn't get my joke together in time. Who who is it that who who is it that they said that was the Zodiac? What American politician? <laughs> Ted Cruz. Oh, Ted Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What are you gonna do? It says Ted Cruz is Zodiac. Yada yada. Go ahead. Yeah. It's, so it's like a it's a graph paper index card, a three by five card, yeah. and it's filled with what looks like just it's just all capital letters, right? Except for one square. Two. Yeah. Oh, two. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. Yeah, I forgot to fill in two of the squares. Um, so this card, right? Like, if you got it in the mail, you would just be like, "This is garbage," right? You would just be like, "Oh, this is this is just a bunch of characters." Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, I'm uploading another image. If you were to get this card in the mail, you would also be like, "I don't know what this is, and it's not telling me anything." So, Rob, as this is uploading, was your use of these these pad forms at all influenced by the presence of the um, uh, what do we what do we have again with that U boat in Chicago, the Enigma? Oh yeah, the Enigma machine was on a, that that German U boat. Mm-hmm. Like, didn't they recover that U boat? Like, someone heroically like dove into the sinking U boat and like re replugged the hole or something, and and then they found the Enigma machine. <laughs> I don't remember the specific story. I, I do know that the Enigma uh, code, something about the code books were like lined in lid so that once you were captured, you just throw it overboard and it would sink really well. Just sink hard. Uh, wow. Nice. So this next picture is a three by five card with some holes, holes uh-huh. punched in it, right? With sort of, at sort of various random ways. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I see the, when you overlay the cards and you can read opposable thumbs. Mm-hmm. so one one card is the key yeah so this is what they call a grill cipher g-r-i-l-l-e and i assume it's like i think of it like a grill like of on the front of a car or something where by exposing part of an something behind it through viewing it through the grill mm-hmm. uh, meaning is created 
And so out of the random jumble of letters that I drew on the card, uh, and then looking at it with the other card laid over it, you can read uh, my message to uh, Federico and Taylor, which is opposable thumbs. So so am I to understand that the earlier beads was the failure? That was the failure. Oh, yeah. See, I don't, I don't know, I, man. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm there. That I, yeah, I couldn't tell which one was the failure. <laughs> I I like I like the parlor beads a lot. Yeah, even I mean, the, this one you can totally oh, understand, but it's less daring. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. I don't know the parlor beads. I if I could just get them clear, it would be so cool to be able to make something. Originally, I wanted to make the password to my Wi-Fi network at home, mm-hmm. and so you could sort of, and there would be like a kind of maybe motorized overlay that like would would like merge the two like you could push a button or something and like the two um grids of beads would overlay one another and you would could like see what the message was yeah. and it would be the password to our wi-fi network um and then i realized that was the one that would originally would have taken me like uh i don't know six hours each or eight hours each or something and also have been eight thousand beads uh per one and i thought i've never done this before it's never a good idea to take on like a super huge project with something you've never ever done before. You know, like it's like, oh, maybe I should start small and see how it goes. And in this case, it was smart because the opacity of the beads kind of bit me on this one. One thing you might be interested in, Rob, I, I know um, I've seen this in the past in some art projects where you take bubble wrap and then you take a syringe full of ink oh. and you just fill in the different holes with an opaque ink. Um, I think that could be a cool result for you. Might might that address Super your cool. problem? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking of maybe getting like um like one possible implementation. Lego jumped out at me at first, you know, as like a possible mm-hmm. then I was like, I don't know how you connect Lego side to side. Like I don't know, like that got a little bit complicated. Um or also like um vinyl cut, you know, like you could do it in a vinyl cut thing on like glass or something mm-hmm. so if you had like a window that you lifted up you could like get some sort of message and then when you close the window it would that's cool it would yeah, that yeah cool. so i had a couple of other from the failure right you you sort of are like oh but i could do this and so that's maybe part of it i'm, right? I'm not like, buying that this is a failure okay yeah <laughs> well that's nice <laughs> thanks i don't know i i think if you hadn't introduced it in that way i would just think of it as like oh that's sneakier than the index card one you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Never never introduce it as it failed. Although I'm sure I'll be doing that soon enough, so you know. <laughs> you, you, you can you can play this tape back at me. <laughs> I think the thing that would have been if I had just ah, like I'm so I also just felt so bitten. Like I I was like busting my butt on it and I was like, Okay, here we go, here we go, here's the test and I was like, No <laughs> like, like it was always like like you just feel like it's like catastrophic. You're just like, Oh my gosh. Yep. Like but so anyway, uh, thank thank you so much for both actually being able to decipher what it was. It made me feel a lot better. For sure, about my stupid project. Yeah, that's, that, that's why we're here. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, we're about to roll off into the what we're into mm-hmm. phase. For sure. um, Federico, I, I saw some stuff that you had in the Google Doc. Do you want to talk about any of that stuff? Uh, yeah. Um, so it was. I already mentioned the whole table saw relationship and the fat <laughs> the, the fat pencils. Um, yep. The fat pencils was it is from Jimmy the Resta, but I I really like them now. <laughs> like yeah, so the idea, cool. yeah, cool idea. you can get these uh, 
if, if for the listeners who've never heard these, you can get these uh, really thick pencils that somehow are meant for children to be able to grip easier. But they're really nice in the shop because you can use them um, to hold things down when you're cutting things on the table saw or the band saw. Um, so they're like a, essentially a fat, easy to hold stick with a rub- with rubber at the end that helps you do things. Um, you know, help- helps you hold things so your own fingers are not on the way of the blade. Um, then uh, I mentioned the turning the 3D printer into a laser engraver with a $30 laser. That's a, that's a very simple project. It's essentially you buy this $30 laser on AliExpress. So that's where I got it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, nice. And you just stick it somehow in front of the, I mean, you can disassemble your extruding your nozzle or you can just, you know, fasten it somehow. Um, you, you do have to, uh, replace the, um, you have to, I mean, you have to connect the laser to the power that comes for the extruding head, um, and then figure out the G code. So it turns on the laser when you want it to, um, so the 3D printer I, I had was a Solid Doodle 2 from around 2013. Um, so this is like, I, I like I like this project because it was like, a, I see a lot of 3D printers are going to start kind of showing up because like now you can get the nice ones for considerably cheaper. So yeah. so it's nice to have a way of like reusing the the older ones uh-huh. if you're not extruding plastic anymore. And then this project made me made me enjoy Inkscape a lot, um, you know, <laughs> as a software tool because I use Illustrator and I like Illustrator for many things, but Inkscape is fantastic um, for some uses. Like, for example, I really like the snapping because um, you can it has like more options for select selecting how things snap to each other. So when when I was doing the engraving the words on these all these cubes. It was easier to say select a group and tell it to snap to the center of the group, um, which is not something you can easily do in Illustrator. It has tons of extensions, which is so I I use Inkscape to turn the paths into G code directly on an uh, on the Inkscape ex- extension. Whoa, um, cool! So so I really enjoyed that. And then there is Hershey Text, which is a uh, the the um, the text generator I used uh, it was written by the people from uh, Evil Mad Scientist, um, mm-hmm. and it's um, it's included now with the new version of Inkscape. Uh, so you'll find it in the extensions render menu. And what it does is it it generates fonts that are essentially engravable, um, essentially fonts that are uh, CNC and laser friendly. Yeah, like so, single line fonts. Yeah. Si- single line fonts. Yeah. Including oh. including Japanese, which is kind of impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the reason this makes life easier uh, with a laser in particular is that I didn't have to use any raster. Um, so the laser would just follow a vector line to create mm-hmm. the the letters, which is considerably faster um, than rastering. Um, so I don't know if, if if you do any vector work and I I. I think you should like play with Inkscape a little bit. Um, it's a really nice open source tool. Um, not something I use for this project, but I really enjoy that Inkscape has like a really solid tiling um, 
setup where like mm. yeah. you can create a, so for example, you can grab a, an image, a vector and, um, and tile it. And it has a, a number of settings where you can uh, change the offset, but then it clones each vector. So when you make changes to the original, it changes all of them. So it's, it's a nice like uh, tool for making patterns. Um, um, that's cool. So that's I've excellent. always heard about Inkscape, but I've never, never, ever tried it. So I'll, I'll dig in. That's yeah. good. That's great. It's, that's a good tip. Yeah, it's free open source. It, it's not the best looking piece of software, but mm-hmm. it's, uh-huh. it's like, uh, it's very, it's very functional. It's like a sort of uh, Swiss Army knife or something like that. Yeah, and to add to that, if you want to go off into that direction, Rob, you can get GIMP, G-I-M-P, for as a Photoshop alternative. Yeah, GIMP is what I used actually to create the the very small one pixel by one pixel grid images because well, Photoshop was like giving me hell. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. GIMP is awesome. awesome. GIMP, yeah, to the rescue. Yeah. <laughs> and um, should I finish with my list, or you want to? Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 go for it. <laughs> and somehow in in the agenda, you mentioned music, and one thing I've been listening to a lot is this band called Vastum. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big metal head, and I, I think nice. metal is underrepresented in a lot of stuff I listen to. So, but I I found them recently. Uh, they're a, van, a band from uh, the Bay Area, and um, and if you're into like dead metal that sounds really mean and kind of raw, <laughs> I think this band you would like this band. <laughs> it's like. Um, Incidentally, one of the singers is a woman. She sings with this like wonderful growly voice, um, and it works really well. I don't know. So I, while I was engraving hundreds of words in these little cubes, that's <laughs> that's one of the things I was listening to. <laughs> um, and then something I found randomly um, is this YouTube channel called Japanology. Um, I literally found it like three days ago. Um, and they do uh, they do features about Japan, but it's not it's not your standard YouTube channel in that their videos are like half an hour long, so they're a commitment, uh, and they wow. explore like different uh, parts of Japanese culture. But so, for example, they have a half an hour show dedicated to scissors in Japan, mm-hmm. and and it's worth watching. I mean, if, I, I love scissors and like. Um, so they talk about all the different kinds of scissors and like how they came to Japan and how, wow. for example, at the time when swords were going out of style in Japan, um, <laughs> sword makers started making scissors. Um, and so watching, they have a, qu- a quick, uh, a little clip of some guy forging a pair of scissors. So it made me kind of add that to my, uh, sort of maker's bucket list. It's like, I, I, I want to I wanna forge my own scissors at some point. Sure. Um, that'd be pretty sweet. I've got a couple things uh-huh. I'll do just really quick. Um, one of them is uh, Jeremy Fielding's YouTube channel and Patreon page is, is really great. He um, has been doing just many, many, many projects with motors of various kinds. And just, he really is into motors and just explores all these different facets of them. And, um, he has this really great style of like something that when you look at it, you're like, it first you're like, Oh, that looks just sort of thrown together. But then when you start to dig into it, you're like, Oh my gosh, this took 
forever to do <laughs> or like you kind of realize it's like oh this is probably like the 15th iteration of this or something uh before uh before he he um recorded it and uh he made his own lathe from scratch and it's totally beautiful um and his latest patreon email the title is just a motor made from microwave parts <laughs> and i thought that was was really compelling and great um and also uh tied back to dan's project from last week so i thought that was cool um and then the the site there's a site called hardcoreperler.com which is is really great it's um it's not an adult site um almost simply, but um if you can imagine it there is porn of it Rob. <laughs> yes yeah that's true is that rule but 42 it, i believe so yeah, or yeah 40 something yeah. <laughs> It has uh, some really great tips for people who do large-scale or complex perler uh, projects, like just different techniques for heating up the iron and stuff, and that stuff was infinitely helpful for me, uh, never having done that before. And then um, I was, I've was i been listening to this album uh, called Black Origami by this artist, uh, Jay Lynn, and um, Jay Lynn is a, 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 an artist. She's from, yeah, she's from Gary, Indiana. Um, and it's a really great, really intense, but also beautiful electronic music record. And I'll, um, I'll link to all that stuff in show notes. Excellent. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, anybody got anything else? I've just got, I've just got one thing, which is, uh, not really related to what I was working on this week, but it's a shrink wrap that's used for bundling things together. <laughs> I, don't, oh. I don't know if you guys have worked much with this, but, uh, because I'm in the process of moving my studio and I had so many long, uh-huh. long objects that needed to go in bundles that, you know, where, where it's difficult to manage if you're carrying it by yourself. So you buy these um, uh, rolls of shrink wrap that the movers have. And I found that the cheaper you go, the better, because the fancy ones have these rubberized grips that don't spin. So you, ba- uh-huh. you basically get something that looks like a, a, a bulky toilet paper roll, but it's made out of... Um, plastic instead of paper and then the handle uh, sticks out of one side but it's just been blowing my mind how useful this is uh so i'm going to start keeping them around not just when i'm moving so that's my thing that's a great tip yeah, yeah cool cool that's it uh, i think we're i think the next challenge time crafting the next challenge has arrived federico what do you got for us oh my i hmm, i had some ideas but like the conversation made me think more about jigs. Um, oh, so, <laughs> yeah. um, so I don't know if it would be jigs specifically or mm-hmm. modifying tools. I mean, yeah. Um, I think modifying like, tools falls underneath jigs, or do we need to be more explicit about it? Well. Part of it was I was thinking about like what what is it like with the like the tool that makes the tool or like uh-huh. um but I think we could keep it simple and it would be jigs. Yes. I love it. That's great. Um since yeah. <laughs> since since they actually came up several times. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe as a I really like that phrase, the tool that makes the tool. Uh-huh. It's a really interesting way to think about a jig mm-hmm. um maybe we could use that as a subhead yep. just to kind of frame that a little bit uh, uh this is great i just want i just want to run and start working on this all night nice <laughs> yeah yeah 
and the jig is the thing that I, I sadly feel like I, when I'm in a rush, I, I always am like, oh, I want to make a jig for this because I know this would be better, but I'm just going to try to like freestyle it and then it blows up in my face. Not literally, but you know, I'm like, oh, yeah. I thought I could do this and now I can't. And if I had just made the jig, it would have been much better. Yeah. My, my, I have a similar sentiment, which is with the table saw, I'm like, I always think something like, okay, I can spend, you know, 15 or 20 minutes making a jig that is way better than spending, you know, time at the hospital or like losing a finger. Yeah. Right. Yes. So I, I would confess that a lot of the jigs I make are kind of based on fear, but, yeah. <laughs> but, they, but they, they make everything better at the end. So. Well, Rob has a saw step, so he has a different set of motivations, I think. <laughs> it would still really hurt if you got got tagged with that blade. Yeah, or I mean, even the saw stub will 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 do kickback. So that's yep. true. Yep, a... that's true. Yep. Good point. Mm-hmm. So, All right, Rob, yeah. you got you got some biz you want to lay on us? You can find uh, finished versions of our projects at projects.opposablepodcast.com. Uh, shout out to Taylor who just took on the redesign of the site and it's looking awesome. And, uh, we we may just, just may have that ready for this episode and, um, it looks great, way better than my first pass. So thank you, Taylor, for taking that on. Uh, if, if using, uh, I believe my suggestion was use the vanilla WordPress install, (laughs) but but I'll take credit (laughs) for that. (laughs) There we go. Yeah. It's looking great. So, so that's good. Um, uh, you can listen to episodes directly on opposablepodcast.com. You can also subscribe uh, with iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, and all the other podcast app platforms. Uh, if you can't find us, just search for the phrase opposable thumbs and it should come up. If you're on Google, search opposable thumbs podcast and we should uh, pop right up to the top. Um, our awesome logo was created by Wolfmask. Uh, you can check out his work at wolfmaskart.co.uk. Um, if you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs and give us a sponsor. Um, we've had a couple of great sponsors and, uh, like Taylor said, we've gotten up to $8 and maybe a little bit more even at this point. And so we're, we're pretty excited to, uh-huh. uh, cover our, our hosting will be the first thing we do. So that's really, really great. Um, we do have a code of conduct on the site. Our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment free experience for everyone regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter, or religion. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. Um, We have an Instagram account. We entered the world of social media here on episode eight. (laughs) Uh, uh, If you go to Instagram, and our Instagram name, I think, Taylor, remind me me if I'm wrong, is... uh, Posable underscore podcast. Does that seem right? Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, cool. Um, so we've been posting images there, sort of of things that are related to old episodes. We've also been posting a few sort of teaser images of work in progress. Um, and we also are posting final uh, images of some of our projects there. So if you follow us on Instagram, um, you'll get some cool stuff um, related. And also just sort of stuff that's kind of related to things we talk about in the podcast that maybe we don't have time uh, to fully do in the podcast. Um, one bit of listener feedback, uh, Ranjit, uh, who did a really cool outro, great, weird outro track, audio track for us a couple of episodes ago, sent us a photo of a bone folder in the wild at the Copenhagen airport. Um, (laughs) he was at the airport and he was like, oh, there's a bone folder. And so he took a picture of it for us and sent it to us. And I thought that was just super cool that like the bone folder was spotted in the wild and at the airport, which is, you know, 
Bonefolder could be seen as a little bit of a danger. Like I, I assume they'll let you through uh, the airport with a bone folder, but I'm not sure. But it was cool that this person had one. Maybe so. there's a trash can full of bone folders, and then they, <laughs> yeah. there's yeah. like a store that's only bone folders uh, <laughs> past a security. Yeah, confiscated. Like, yeah. I just misplaced mine, and I was looking on Amazon for bone folders, and turns out you can actually buy plastic ones. I, I, yeah, I know, right? Vegan bone vegan, folder. Who knew? Which is, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think they're they are something that's pretty rigid, so I think it would would work out pretty well. At first I was like, oh, it seems like a plastic one would just be too bendy, but I think if it's like phenolic resin or something, it'd probably be pretty pretty hardy. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's it. Um yes, that is it. Uh so a super huge thanks to our guest Federico. Your project was slamming. It rocks. Um Yeah, and uh Federico, if you have any events or activities or anything you wanna let folks know about here on the on the way out. So if you want to find me online, my main website is wolfcatworkshop.com. Um, it'd be awesome if you subscribe to my newsletter. Uh, I only send uh, an email every month um, documenting my art and my general making adventures. Um, I also post things on Instagram, at wolfcatworkshop. Um, and uh, thank you so much, Taylor and Rob, for having me. This was uh, really nice. Okay, excellent. Excellent work tonight, my man. Very inspiring. Yes. Jigs is going to be incredible. Jigs. <laughs> Jigs. Like when you adjust something where the computer says, oh, do you want to change something? And you think, well, this is working fine, but why not?